0: Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Well, good morning again. Good to have you with us. I want you to open your Bibles to Exodus. Exodus is the second book in the Old Testament. You go to the very front thumb over a few pages and you're going to find where we are at. And uh, in this series that we're in called Exodus on the Move, it's about everything moving and everything changing. And in uh, in Egypt and Israel 3,500 years ago, everything's changing. People are moving, hearts are moving, God's on the move. And I believe today in 2023, it's the same as it was then. People are moving, people's hearts are changing, God's on the move doing great things. He does it in the life of his church, he does it in this world, and I believe it's always a precursor to God doing a greater thing. And I believe with all my heart that we're living in the latter days, the days before Jesus' second coming, and uh, we need to have our hearts right uh, because he's coming back. I look Look at the person next to you and say, he's coming back. He said he would, and he will. Uh, Jesus couldn't say he's going to do something and not do it. That goes against his nature, his holy, righteous, perfect, uh, truthful nature. And so he's coming back. And, and so we pr- begin to prepare our hearts. So we're in Exodus today. And, and to kind of bring you up to speed, because we're going to cover a couple of chapters today, 8 through 10. I know you're thinking, we're not having lunch. Because I, I'll do two verses and spend an hour. okay? But we're going to have to do some, some uh, so short circuit on some things. But we're going we're gonna to travel through it, because we've got some place we need to be. Uh, not today, but in Scripture. Now, to bring you up to speed, what's happened is God has formed a nation. It's called Israel, Jews, the Hebrew people. And he did it through one man and one woman. They were very, very old, Abraham and Sarah. And so time goes on, and now it's, it's developed into a nation, a small tribe of about 70 people. And God is going to put them in a place to protect them from the famine. And so they, they enter into Egypt as, uh, as free people, and they spend over 400 years in Egypt. Now, during those 400 years, they become slaves to Egypt. Uh, But at the same time, when they thought God had forgotten them, God had them right where he wanted them. In this season where it seemed very difficult, like they were alone and God was not with them, he had them right where he wanted them. Uh, They were in a place where God could uh, protect them, God could provide for them, and God could prepare them to be the nation. Listen to me, the nation that would live until the end of the age. You realize most nations just dissolve into oblivion at some point. Very few nations have long lifespans. Israel has been in place for uh, over 4,000 years. And they will be in place when Jesus returns. Because God has a place for them. He picked them to introduce himself to the world through. And ultimately provide redemption and salvation through through Jesus' His son who came as a Jew. Now, I'll put a, a, a little... Uh, a plug-in right here. In a couple of weeks, we have a Messianic Jew who's going to be here. Um, he's going to be here on Saturday night, talking about the fact that the the instruments, the articles of the Millennial Temple, they're 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 constructed right now. They're just waiting for Jesus to come back and kind of uh, scoot the Islamic Temple off the Dome of the Rock, so he can reestablish his new Temple. It's it's and we're going to talk about that. And this guy was raised in New Zealand as a Jew, devout Jew, uh, got saved, felt like he needed to go to Israel. That's kind of what Jews do. And he moved to Israel, joined the military over there, spent nine years, uh, uh, got out as a sergeant. And now he's on all these coalitions for Jewish people. He, he's a tour guide over there. He knows much about Jewish culture and from a Christian perspective. And so on Saturday night, on the 4th of February, he's gonna be right here. And then on Sunday morning, he's gonna talk about the Jewish perspective of the Passover. It's gonna be extremely interesting. So I want you to make your plans to be sure and be here for that. Now, all that being said, so now <clears throat> here's this people of Israel they started as 70. 400 years later, they're a couple of million strong, all right? And they are hardened slaves to Pharaoh. Pharaoh sees them as an object of his need, that they are going to be his production team. They're going to take care of, they're going to be the ones that do all the work to take care of the Egyptians. Well, God had had enough of it. The time, God's timeline had come to fulfillment. And so God comes to a man named Moses. Interesting on Moses, Moses is born a Jew, but, but, but pharaoh's murdering the jews so uh, moses is given to pharaoh uh, pharaoh's daughter he's adopted into the into the royal family he spends 40 years there and he learns culture languages engineering all the mathematics the stuff that the higher education would give you at age 40 he sees an egyptian mur- uh, mistreating a hebrew and it it got to his heart so he murdered the egyptian Now he goes from the lifestyle of the rich and famous to 40 years as a shepherd in the backside of nowhere, all right? So now here's a guy 80 years old, and from most people's perspective, his life is almost over, not from God's vantage point. At 80, God says, uh, hey, over here at the burning bush, he introduced himself to a burning bush and says, I want you to go free the people from Egypt. And so Moses belly aches and cries, and God says, I'm going to give you your brother. He'll go with you. So Moses and Aaron at 80 and 83 are challenged and called and commissioned to go into Egypt and say, Pharaoh, God said, let the people go. So why would Pharaoh listen to these, these shepherds just showing up out of nowhere? Because Pharaoh thought he was God. When he looked in the mirror, he was very impressed. He, he saw deity And when the people of his nation saw him, they saw him as a God, okay? So the last thing he needs is somebody coming in and saying, some other God said to do something. You know, the world is full of people who believe in God, believe in the existence of God, but they don't want to give allegiance to that God. Even in this very room today, and we'll talk about that as we see what God's desire is in revealing himself. So what God does, he says, "Uh, Moses we're going to have to prove to them who God is scripture says that Pharaoh had a hard heart okay and God and scripture says that God says you want a hard heart I'll give you a hard heart in fact you're a puppet in my hands I'm going to use your hard heart to demonstrate who I am to your world to Egypt to Israel and 3500 years later to me and you reading this scripture okay God wants to reveal himself and we'll show you that today in scripture now the beauty of it is God is a big God he's just a big old God I just like that. You know, we got a a world that thinks they got God all figured out. They've brought him down to our level and we can put him in a package, you know, and clip off the things we don't understand. We got him all figured out. I don't want that God. That's not a big God. I want you to know my God. My God is a big God. He's bigger than I can describe. Words, our vocabulary can't even begin to to define him, right? He's that kind of God. Your God is the same God. And, And so God knows that. And he wants to introduce himself, and he does it through 10 plagues. Through these 10 plagues, he's going to reveal his power. He's going to reveal his nature. He's going to reveal how much he loves people. And he wants you to know the same, that you have a big God. So the question of last week's message and this week's message, which is the same question that God is asking Pharaoh and Egypt, is this. Who is your God? Look at the person next to you and say, who's your God? Yeah because we all got them. And there's, there's very few true atheists, okay? There's very few people foolish enough to believe that we're here just by chance, totally. So most people agree there's a God. They just really don't know him and don't, don't spend enough time trying to figure him out or, or getting to know him. So God wants you to know who he is. And if you're a believer in the true and living God, if you're a Christian today, he wants you to know the power of who he is, that there is nothing in your life that should ever take his place on that throne, and so that's what we're going to look at today. And so we saw last week in plague number one and plague number two. That's all we got done. Here's a funny one: we covered two plagues last, last week. We're covering eight, a uh, seven this week. Okay, so we got to move fast. I got to preach fast. Got to listen fast. Okay, y'all ready? Set go. Here we go. All right. Here's what we learned last week. God addressed the the the, the gods. Yahweh God addressed the lowercase g gods of Egypt right where they were. And so he began, he turned the Nile River into blood and all the surrounding waters, bodies of water into blood. What was that? That was an attack on Egypt's God of the river, the God of the Nile. And we talked about it last week. He had a name, his name is Happy. Happy is a bearded man mounted on a female's body. Doesn't sound very happy to me, but that's who he was. You see, this stuff that we talk about now, it's not new. 3,500 years ago, they had a bearded man with a woman's body. It, it, some things, it just comes back around the track. Just give it time, all right? Now, this was their God, okay? So God says, I'll punch your God right in the mouth. I'll shave his beard. I'll, 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 I'll show you. And so he turned what they, what, where they found their source of life, the river, the Nile, turned it into blood where it was undrinkable, Because it was undrinkable, because it was contaminated, which, you know, I told you National Geographic had a good explanation. It had dried up to mud, created this red-colored algae, and it looked like blood. There you go. Now you know the rest of the story. Now, we saw the second plague. The second plague was frogs. Frogs just infested Egypt. I mean, you open the oven to bake cookies or frogs. You go to the bathroom, frogs. You you get out of bed, they're they're in your bed. Frogs are everywhere. And so we talked about last week that Egypt had a god of the frogs they worship the frog it was a capital offense to murder a frog to murder a frog to kill a frog okay and and this god's name is hecht this is a woman with a frog head i i don't know if those people were on lsd or what they were doing to come up with these images because it gets worse before it gets better so now god addressed it he says you 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 love frogs You, you worship frogs i got some frogs for you so he just smothered them in frogs uh, somebody told me last week when we went out for lunch said we're having frog, frog legs for lunch. Uh, just in honor of God. Now, here's the thing. Now we're going to, ke- he keeps going. He, he's just going to keep going. Here's what he does now. Plague number three, gnats. Everybody say gnats. Okay. Chapter eight, verse 16 says, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, extend your staff and strike the dust of the ground and it will become Gnats. Throughout all the land of Egypt they did so and Aaron extended his hand with a staff and he struck the dust of the ground and it became gnats on the people and on the animals. All the dust of the ground became gnats throughout all the land of Egypt. And when the magicians attempted to bring forth gnats by their secret arts, they could not. So there were gnats on people and on animals. The magicians said to Pharaoh, it is the finger of God. But, the, but Pharaoh's heart remained hard and he did not listen to them just as the Lord had predicted. Now, I want you to notice something here. This is the third plague. The first two, God gave a warning. He gave an an encounter with Moses where Moses Moses could say, Pharaoh, listen, God said he's gonna do this, but if you'll let him go, he won't do it. He warns them. There's mercy in that. There's grace. There's an extension of, of, uh, of deliverance from something bad, but he doesn't respond. On the third one, the third of the cycle, and we're gonna see it in number six, this is a freebie. There's no discussion. There's no warning. He just says, it's gnat time, okay? And so he, he, he turns the dust of the earth into gnats. Now, the dust of the earth, earth is a reference to, uh, to vastness. It's, this is a big plague. In Genesis chapter three, verse 16, God said, told Abraham, he said your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. I mean, it's just going to be massive when it's all said and done. There's going to be so much of it. It'll just cover the world. There'll be some of your people will be in every nation of the world around the globe. And so that's the reference. There's a lot of these things and they're on people and on animals. Now, as you might believe, guess what? They had a God over the dust. They worshiped, They were dirt lovers. They worship a god. He was, he was the god of the earth, the god of the dirt, and his name is Geb. G E B. G E B was the god who provided a, a fertility in the soil. He blessed the soil to produce, and it was out of Geb's domain that these things called gnats would emerge. Now, this is an address on Egypt about the comfort. And the lifestyle, the hedonistic, materialistic life that they live. This is what God is addressing. He's saying, listen, you worship the dirt, the material world. You live this lush and lavish lifestyle. And I'm thinking about it, that's us. 3,500 years later, you and I live in this hedonistic comfort world where we want to be comfortable. You know it's true. Some of you all have contacted Mike Lindell, got you my pillow. Because you want that comfort, man, you want to lay down. And when you got it, you oh, man, it's something special. This thing is anointed, okay? So I need to get me what? Some Giza sheets to go with it. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and we're laying in our bed with, with a central heat and air condition. And tomorrow we go out and we get in our luxury vehicle and we turn on a heated seat because it's cool. And we want to keep our little hiney warm for the travel, all right? And, and, and then I, everything we do is about our own personal comfort. We got... we got um special insoles in her shoes anybody got special insoles in your shoes in here Tomorrow, yeah four of you and another 200 are afraid to raise your hand now because we want comfort man we want comfort and God says listen your life is not about your comfort he's he's saying listen Israel has been uncomfortable for 400 years but I got them right where I want them I'm using their discomfort to prepare them for something greater now, listen to me. There's nothing wrong with you, my pillow and nothing wrong with you, Giza sheets, okay? But there's a place where we stop just focusing on our own comfort and our own well-being, and we focus on God. And that's what God is going to do. He's going to raise up. Now, what are these gnats, okay? So when I had a company and I, I sold products to a big company in Statesboro, Georgia. It's near Savannah. At that point, I didn't know there was such a real thing called, you ready, the gnat line. If you're south of the gnat line, there's gnats everywhere. And we would go play golf, and they were used to the gnats. And it'd be their turn to putt, and there's gnats. They look like starving Ethiopian children. They're just, they're landing on them, and they're just putting. Like they're not even there. And meanwhile, I'm putting, I'm putting like, you can't putt like that, Okay. And I said, like, What is the deal? They said, Well, we're, we're south of the gnat line. I'm like, Is that a thing? Yeah, it's a thing. Now, here's what I learned certain kind of insects you just grow accustomed to. They were accustomed to the gnats. I went to the Philippines, was preaching at, at a night service. It was about 110 degrees, brutally hot. And there's probably 250 people in this packed little tin building. And I'm preaching, and their gnats look like a hummingbird. And they're everywhere, and there's a pile of them on the front row. I had had some young people with me, and they're killing them. You know, there's a pile of them, and there's people out there with their Bible open like this. Gnats on them. I mean, uh, hummingbirds on them. And they're just sitting there looking at me. I'm like, this is weird. And meanwhile, I'm sweating and swatting, eating these birds, and it's awful. And finally, I just I said, I'm not going to do it anymore. My arms got tired, so I started preaching. And there's there's these things. And one of the students had their phone, took a picture of me. I got a hummingbird right here on my eyebrow, and I'm preaching like I don't even care. Now, here's the thing. What's that got to do with this message? What are those gnats? I don't think they're grasshoppers. I don't think they're, uh, I don't think they're gnats like we know gnats. The word is kanim, kanim, the Hebrew word. It is an insect that burrows into the skin. It could be a flea. It could be lice. It could be a mosquito. I think I know what it is. Are you ready? Chiggers. Now, we live in Tennessee. Anybody in here ever had a chigger? Raise your hand. Oh, more people than got insoles. That's cool. Yeah, you you know. If you've had chiggers, you know them. Now, this is gross, man. That's a gross little bug. It's about the size of dust. Go figure. You can't really see them with your naked eye. They get on your skin, and they burrow in your skin and lay eggs. Isn't that just, let's go have lunch? And so they burrow in your skin, and you know they're there. You can't see them. You can't ignore like the hummingbird on my forehead. You can't ignore the gnats on your lips. You cannot ignore a chigger. You know what you're going to do? You're going to scratch a chigger. You will scratch that chigger for seven days. Why seven days? Because that's its life cycle. I remember I was looking at a piece of property. I'd never had a chigger. I'd had poison ivy. That was enough. I got about 10,000 chiggers on me. And they end up in the worst place. And I do not know how. And so I asked somebody. We were in Alabama. I said, "How do you get rid of chiggers?" They said, uh, "Fingernail polish. It's, you put it on there, and it smothers them." I said, "Where can I get a fifty-five gallon drum of fingernail polish? Because I need to get in it today. Okay, I got to smother some chiggers today. Okay, it was off. It was awful. And seven days, <laughs> the chiggers were dead. But I looked like I had leprosy because I had clawed myself to death. Now listen, I believe that's kind of the kind of gnats that God sent on them. Miserable, miserable. It's so miserable that even the magicians show up and they say, "This is, this is the finger of God." You know, the the magicians don't even show up anymore. They got nothing for God. They have no magic tricks. They got nothing else. This God was sending a signal to them that he he's saying, "Listen, you worship the dirt. You you're a tree hugger. You're an iceberg lover." all right you worry about creation more than you worry about creator you walk around your you don't eat meat anymore because you want to reduce your carbon footprint and God says listen it's okay to love what I've created because it all screams to the glory of who I am but don't worship the creation worship me the creator go straight to the source Stop worshiping the material world when you can worship the one who whispered it into being out of nothing at all. That's, that's who God is. And so the, he, he's, Moses and God are revealing and asking a question to Pharaoh in Egypt. Who's your God? And I'm asking you today, who's your God? Because the real, true, and living God is right there. And he wants you to be engaged with him. So at the end of the day, the problem is, for them, as the same for us. Mother nature, which there is no such thing, could not, cannot satisfy the true missing piece in the puzzle called our soul. Material, material stuff won't do it. It just won't do it. No matter what you pursue, it will not fill the void that's left inside of you. The creator has to step into that because he's the, the fit for the puzzle. He's, he's, he's the one that, that fits perfectly in that void. And so you got happy and Hecht and Geb, who's your God, plague number four. He sends swarms. Everybody say swarms. Chapter eight, verse 20 says, the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, position yourself before Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and tell him, this is what the Lord has said. Release my people that they may serve me. God's intention is, never changes. I want you to let them out. So, they don't serve you or something or someone. They serve me. I'm the one that people, I created people to serve me. There's nothing else on the planet that deserves allegiance like me. And so he said, let them out so they can serve me. He says in verse 21 If you do not release my people, then I'm going to send swarms of flies on you and on your servants and on your people and in your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. And even the ground they stand on. But on that day, I will mark off the land of Goshen where my people are staying, that no swarms of flies will be there. He looks out for his people. That you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of this land. I will put a division between my people and your people. And the sign will take place tomorrow. The Lord did so. A thick swarm of flies came into Pharaoh's house and into the houses of his servants and throughout the whole land of Egypt. And the land was ruined because of the swarms of flies. Skip down to verse 32. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and did not release the people. Pharaoh hardened his heart, and once again, he didn't release the people. Now, this particular thing comes out of the air, okay? This is, these are flies, uh, swarms, they just show up. Wouldn't you know that Egypt had a God for this too, all right? This God's name is Kephi, K-H-E-P-F-I, Kephi. Kefi is the god of the sunrise. He represents creation, renewal of life, and as you would have it, he is worshipped as an insect. He's worshipped as a human body, a male body, with a beetle head. Now, on the beetle head, I'm not talking about John, Paul, George, and Ringo beetle. I'm talking about beetle, insect beetle, and like a June bug. But no ordinary beetle, are you ready? It's called a dung beetle. Anybody know what dung is? That's the stuff you step in when you go to the farm. That's the stuff you flush, okay? Just, it is what it is. They worshiped a man with a dung beetle head. A dung beetle is a beetle that is birthed grows to maturity in in waste from herbivores, sheep, cattle, horses. They worship that guy. I'm telling you. And it's easy to look at them and say, they're idiots. That's just all they are to it. But sometimes there are people who will look at our life and say, what are they thinking? How did they get to this place to, to put on the throne of their life? Something like that. When the true and living God is over there inviting them, To let him be on the throne of their life. And so they had this God. This dung beetle God. And Pharaoh hardens his heart. So we have happy, hecht, geb, and kefi. It goes on. Plague number five. Livestock disease. Chapter nine. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Go go to Pharaoh and tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has said. Release my people that they may serve me. There it is again. He says, for if you refuse to release them and continue holding them, then the hand of the Lord will surely bring a very terrible plague on your livestock, in the field, on the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. Then he goes on 7. He says, Pharaoh sent representatives to investigate, and indeed not even one of the livestock of Israel had died, but Pharaoh's heart remained hard, and he did not release the people. Now God is going to punch Pharaoh right in the mouth with his sustenance, with what, what, where, he finds, uh, where he finds his being. Because livestock represented for him transportation. It represented nourishment through milk. There's, a, there's images in hieroglyphics and in the pyramids of, of an adult Pharaoh nursing from this God who was, is a female goddess with a cow head, okay, and so it's transportation, it's nourishment from milk, it's meat, uh, it's, it's, it's what, they, it's what they, they use in life to keep them alive and to, to, uh, to build the material world that they were in. And so this goddess's name is Hathor. Hathor was a woman with a cow's head who represented music, dance, joy, love, sexuality, and maternal care. And when we hear this, you would agree with me that this is utterly ridiculous. Yeah, you threw that in right there. Don't you act like that wasn't funny. I don't care how cool you think you are. A man in the pulpit talks about a cow's udder. You know it's funny. So we would agree that it's ridiculous though, right? And these are real people in a real land who had accumulated this power, the most powerful nation on the planet, And now God is only halfway finished with his plagues. Five plagues. And this is what he's already revealed to Egypt, to Israel, to Pharaoh, to Moses. And scripture says everything in the Old Testament is given as an example for us who read the New Testament, to you and to me. This is what we've learned God is not like any other God. God is the creator of all things. God is sovereign over all things. God does what he wants because he's God. God extends grace and mercy, but on his terms, God has a timeline, sometimes short, sometimes very long. God will not be mocked. God will prove his power over every other God that man erects or creates. God is serious about who or what people put on the throne of their life. And he's only five plagues deep. Now he's going to get more serious about it. He's going to go to the next one. Now it's a personal. Now he's going to send a personal message. Plague number six are called boils of suffering. Chapter nine, verse eight says, then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the furnace and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt. And festering boils will break out on people and animals throughout the land. Skip down to verse 12. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said to Moses. So plague number six follows the same pattern as the first three. Four and five, that he was warned. Plague number six, no warning. This is a freebie. I'm just going to bring this to you. You don't even have to ask. No conversation. I'm not even going to give you the opportunity to lie again, okay? And say you're going to let them go and not let them go. I'm just going to give you the boils. Now, that's awful. Just when you thought jiggers were bad, boils come in. And their bodies were just completely, and the animals were consumed by these boils. Now, uh, historians believe that the soot he's talking about was the story translated uh, verbally through time was that Moses was to take soot from a brick furnace, where, which represented slavery, okay? The soot that burned off from the furnace that baked the brick, bring that soot out, cast it into the air. God multiplied it and distributed it all over Egypt. Not in, not in Goshen, on the Israelites, but all over Egypt. Now, they had a God for that. They had a God for healing and for health and for magic. This God's name is Heka. So Heka was, an, was considered to be an omnipresent God, a, a, a God who was with somebody from their birth until their death every day, a God who was worshiped by, uh, by sacrifice of human beings. Listen what they would do. To worship Heka, they would burn a human body, kill a human body, burn it into ash, take the ash from this decomposed burnt body and rub it on their skin for health and well-being. This is who these people are, okay? And God says, you, you, want, you want dust, soot? I got you some soot. And now they're miserable and they can do nothing. There's nothing they can do about it. Now we move to plague number seven, a hailstorm. Chapter nine, verse 13 says, then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning. Now you're getting, it's getting worse. God's going to double down on what he's doing. He says, get up early in the morning, confront confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says. Let my people go. Why? So that they may worship me. Still hadn't changed his agenda or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you. He's amping it up. He says, and against your officials and your people, so you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. That's God's goal. God's goal for you is the same as it was for Egypt and Pharaoh and Moses and Israel, that you know him and his power and his glory and his love for you. He he says, you're going to know. Who I am now. You'll remember in chapter five, Moses said, "Hey, God wants me to tell you to let his people go," and he said, "I don't even know him. Who is he that I should obey him?" He's going to know him, and and God wants you to know him. So he says in verse fifteen, "For by now God's going to reveal what he could be doing instead of extending mercy." He says, "I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth." That's not what he wanted to do. He wants them to know him. And and he could have wiped them away and said, Israel, there's your promised land. It's already built for you. You built it. Now you get it. Here's the deed. They're all dead. That's not what he wanted. Israel's promised land was in the future at a different place. And so God said, I could wipe all of you out. Do you know that today he could wipe every one of us out with a thought? Okay. But he chooses not to. Because he's patient and willing that none perish, but that all have eternal life. That's that we all worship him. That's his goal. It never changes in all that he does. Verse 16, but I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Verse 17, you will set yourself against my people. And will not let them go. You see who's making the choice here? God's not determining that Pharaoh has a hard heart. Pharaoh is making the choice. He says in verse 18, Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded till now. Skip down to verse 20. Those officials of Pharaoh, now listen what's happening. There's winds of change are blowing, okay? It says, those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Now, there are Egyptians who are looking around. And I know know how this works. It's the guy. He's the stubborn. When he goes home and his wife says, "Uh, honey, are you watching what's happening here? "Yeah, Yeah, I'm watching it. And the lady probably said, I think there's, there's something to that. I think their God is like the real deal. And the guy's like, you know, here's, here's what we am going to say. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> he didn't think of that. Went right over his head. But here's all of a sudden these people start saying, this is real. And they start kind of following the God of the Jews, the God of the Hebrews, right? That's called proselytism, proselytism. It's where somebody believes one thing and they change teams, okay? There are people in here who are proselytes. You were part of another faith, another idea of faith, maybe Catholicism, uh, maybe, uh, who knows? Some, uh, uh, when you're lost and you come and follow Jesus, that's a form of proselytism, okay? You're, you've come in to know, you are coming to know the Jewish God, Yahweh. Now, he says this in verse 24, So hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both people and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and it stripped away every tree. The only place it did not hail was, go figure, the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and this time... Listen to what Pharaoh says now. This time I have sinned. Hold the phone, man. It's Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like repenting. He's confessing. Really? He says, I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Well, praise the Lord. Pharaoh's got it all together, right? Kind of. Look down at verse 34. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, He sinned again, he and his officials hardened their hearts. Now, that's the world we live in, much like that world. There's a lot of people in the world that want to be delivered from suffering. There's a lot of people in the world that want to be forgiven of their sin. They don't want to pay the end price, the penalty for their sin. There's a lot of people in the world that want a Savior, right? There's a whole lot of them that don't want a Lord. What does that mean? It means I want somebody who's going to give me what I need, but I don't want a boss. I don't want somebody telling me what to do. I just want somebody who's going to give me what I need and forgive my sin. That's a problem. You see, in the New Testament, when you read Scripture, Jesus as Savior and Lord, they travel together a lot. Those words, Savior and Lord, Lord and Savior, they roll together together. You can't have Jesus. Listen to me. You can't have Jesus as Savior and not receive him as Lord. If he saves you, he's your boss. If you were your boss, he hadn't saved you yet. Because allowing him to be boss is a product of your salvation. It travels together. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean we just like Pharaoh. He sinned again. So do we. But it means we need to understand when God comes into our life, the true and living God, to replace the other gods in our life, he comes in to re- redeem and rescue us, but he comes in to be our master, to be our chief, to be our Lord, and to be our boss. Now, as you would guess, this, uh, this particular plague uh, came into their life and it came out of the air. The hail fell from the sky. Go figure. They had a sky god. That's what he was called the goddess of the sky. Can't make this up. Guess what her name is? Nut. It's fitting, don't you think? Let's go worship the goddess of the sky, Nut. And Nut had a male counterpart whose name was Shu, okay? Now, this is real. This is what they believe. They have images of Nut. Nut is a long, skinny woman, okay, who gets in like the pike position, her hands on the floor, her feet on the floor, her torso is shrouded over the nation of Egypt. That's what they believe. They believe there's a big, long, skinny woman above them. Okay. And you know, some of you can do a plank, you know, where you get on your, you know, you flex your whole body and engage your core and you're flat. Push up. Some of you can do, you know, the crab walk, Nut is hanging out like eternally doing this. So you know she got like I don't care if she's skinny or not. You can only hold that position so long, right? And they knew that. That's where Shu comes in. I ain't making this up. The LSD will get you. LSD will get you this stuff. Okay. Shu would come underneath the abdomen of Nut and put his hands on her stomach and hold her up like a temp prop. Who who comes up with this stuff? Okay. And that's what they worshiped. They worshiped nut and shoe as the God and goddess of the sky who protected them and who gave them only what they needed from above. And so, meanwhile, that's what's going on in Egypt. Meanwhile, Todd Howe says Goshen has sunny and mild, okay? God rains down wrath on some and God rains down uh, uh, blessings on others, And and, and usually the recipient of the blessings are his children. Sometimes his children, just like the nation of Israel, spent 400 years in slavery. Sometimes it feels like we're not walking in the blessing. I want you to know today, if you're a child of God, you're always in the blessing. You can't get out from under it, okay? But it doesn't look like shoe and nut. It's Yahweh, the true and living God. Now, plague number eight. It's the last one. Locust. It's the last one for today. Uh, locust chapter 10 verse 1 he says the Lord said to Moses go to Pharaoh for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants in order to display these signs of mine before him and in order that in the hearing of your son and your grandson you may tell how I made fools of the Egyptians and about my signs that I displayed among them so that you may know that I am the Lord Now, the point right here is the reason God does great things in our world is so we can give him glory. Not rob the glory, tell the glory. He says, I want you to tell your children, I want you to tell your grandchildren of how I made fools of these other gods. Listen to me. You got a true and living God, Yahweh, in your life through Jesus Christ, his son, who is God. Okay, It is the incarnation. Jesus was, was the flesh representation, revelation of God, of this same God. Okay, And you and I have a job to do, the Great Commission, and that is to brag, to tell the story about how your God makes fools out of every other God that you had in your life and that other people have in their life. God is above all of those gods. In verse 4, he says this, I'm going to bring locust into your territory tomorrow. And they'll cover the surface of the earth so that you will be unable to see the ground. And they will eat the remainder of what escaped, what is left over for you from the hail. And they will eat every tree that grows for you from the field. And they will fill your houses and the houses of your servants and all the houses of Egypt, such as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen since they've been in the land until this day. Verse 14, the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and settled down. In all the territory of Egypt, it was very severe. There had been no locusts like them before, nor will there be such ever again. Verse 20. But the Lord now hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not release the Israelites. Egypt had a God, the God of the fields, whose name was Anubis. So already, and I said that was the last one. I, that's not true. We have one more called darkness. But so far, God has revealed his power, a demonstration of who he is over land and sea and air and animals and insects. God is God over everything. Do you see it? And so when somebody says, who's your God? It's like, (laughs) who's he not? He's the God of everything. He's he's Apart from him, nothing even exists. That's who our God is. Plague number nine, chapter 10, he says, the Lord said to Moses, extend your hand toward heaven so that so that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt a darkness so thick you can feel it so Moses extended his hand toward heaven and there was an absolute darkness throughout the land of Egypt for three days and no one could see another person and no one could rise from his place for three days but the Israelites had light in the places where they lived well sure they did verse 27 but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to release them Pharaoh said to them go from me and watch out for yourself do not appear before me again for when you see my face you will die and moses said as you wish i will not see your face again the next week we'll see the final plague but he tells him right now he doesn't leave and come back as with the rest of them they had a god for this too his name is ra ra is the sun god a man With the head of a falcon, with a disc above his head, surrounded by a cobra. (laughs) Where do you get this stuff, right? That's who he is. A man with a falcon head, a disc, the sun above his head, surrounded by a cobra. So, what do we do with all this? What do we do with all this information? God addressing nine of the gods of Egypt. Calling us out, reminding us who... God really is. Because sometimes we just forget the greatness of our God. I'm sick and tired of people acting like they have God all figured out. We could put corporately all of our brain energy together. We cannot comprehend our God. He's God. He's bigger than that. And that's how we have to look at him. And when we get that picture, all of a sudden our faith, Our trust, it amplifies because the things of this world begin to get smaller in the presence of a big God. So 1,500 years after Moses and Pharaoh, we find the New Testament and we find out that things don't change. We still look the same apart from God in every generation. Romans chapter one, this is what it looks like. For all they although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts and their senseless hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for an image resembling mortal human beings or birds or four footed animals or reptiles. Sounds like the gods of Egypt, but it's not. This is in first century. Therefore, God gave them over in their desires of their hearts to impurity, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 2,000 years ago, it's the same as it was 3,500 years ago. And when you look around today, it's the same as it is today. We have this bent, this flesh desire to create and fabricate and erect some lowercase G God and let it rise up in our life. And how do we know what that is? Where do we give our allegiance? Where do we give our time? Where do we invest our treasure? What do we talk about the most? What what are our aspirations built toward? That's what our God is. And we all have we all have this in us to walk away from the true and living God and worship something or someone else. So in Acts chapter 17, Paul shows up in Athens, Greece, and he sees it too. And he says this, Acts 17 verse 22, So Paul stood before the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you are very religious in all respects. For as I went around and observed closely your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. You see, just to be sure, they had all their bases covered. We got all these over here, but in case we missed one, we, we got him too, the unknown God. And so Paul chimes in on that. He says, therefore, what you worship without knowing it, this is what I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, who is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made with human hands nor is he served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives life and breath and everything to everyone verse 26 from one man he made every nation of the human race to inhabit the entire earth now listen here's, he's going to tell us why he did why he created us all he said, every nation in the human race to inhabit the entire world, determining their set times and the fixed limits of the places they would live. Verse 27, so that they would search for God and perhaps even groan around for him and find him. God created Adam to create all of the nations of the world so men and women and boys and girls would just wake up one day and walk around and look up into the night sky and look at this fabulous creation and enjoy love and relationship and and wonder is there a god out there and and begin to search and groan and feel like there's something more to a place where you and i would find him god wants you to find him he already knows where you're at okay and on that day when you find him listen to me you find him only through jesus christ his son jesus said i am the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father god except through me and when you find him you move from being lost to being found and you have a relationship with the God of the universe. We forget that, man. We come to church to check a box. We come to church out of obligation. We come to church because we want our kids to be in church. We come to church because our parents expect us to go to church. We come to church for all these reasons. Meanwhile, God's saying, no, don't come for that. You come to church to corporately come together to worship me and to hear from my word to be motivated in your soul to leave that place different than the way you came and so that's what it looks like he goes on in verse 28 says for in him we live and move about and exist as even some of your own poets have said for we too are his offspring so since we are god's offspring we should not think the deity is like gold or silver or stone an image made by human skill and imagination Therefore, although God has overlooked, he's overlooked, okay? He's been gracious. He says, he's overlooked such times of ignorance. He now commands all people everywhere to repent. That's us. He commands us, all, he, he commands us all to repent, to get right with him because he has set a day on which he is going to judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he designated, having provided proof to everyone by raising him from the dead. I said in the beginning, I believe Jesus is coming back. I really believe that. And when he comes back, it's game over for the lost. And so he's saying, he just told us, he said, he's designated a man who he raised from the dead to come back and judge this earth. Now we can be judged at that time or our judgment can be placed in Jesus's judgment on a cross. You see, if you're a Christian today, if you've received God's grace gift of Forgiveness and salvation in your life, your judgment, the wrath appointed to your sin was placed on Him 2,000 years ago. You, you won't be judged like that. You'll be separated from that judgment and you'll enter the kingdom of God. Isaiah 42, 8, we're almost done. God said, I am the Lord, and that is my name. I will not share my glory with anyone else or the praise due me with idols. We hear this verse sometimes that that the fools say there is no God, right? Because if I ask you, do you believe in God? Everybody in here would say, yeah, everybody. Because of peer group, you know, pressure. Okay, if for no other reason. And if you ask people on the street, you believe in God, you'll find a few that deny it. But they, deep within, and most of them, they know that's not true for them. Because you can't explain God away. And so... We say Scripture says, "The fool says there is no God." but there's a problem with that verse. It's like we talked about last. Uh, we talked about it on Wednesday, when you take a verse out of its subdivision, where it lives, and we look at it all by itself, we don't get the full meaning. I shared with the students Wednesday, if I, if I put a picture on the screen of a block house with a metal roof, dirt floors, no windows, no door, no kitchen, no central heat in there, no bathroom. I say this is a home, what do you think? Everybody in here would say, that's not a home. Who would live there? Because you're looking at that image outside of its subdivision. If I took you to the Philippines or to Honduras or Brazil or Africa or India, or many of the other countries around the world, that's where the mayor lives, okay? Puts it in perspective. When you put it in its subdivision, scripture's the same way. So we, we hear this verse quoted sometimes, the fool says there is no God. Who is the fool? The person who says there's no God, does that mean the person who verbally says there is no God? Yes, but he goes on and he said, but there's more. In the same verse, Psalm 14:1, he goes on. And he says, the fool says to themselves, there is no God, and this is how they say it: they sin and commit evil deeds. Done of them, uh, none of them does what is right. The fool is the person. Who says they believe in God and they live like the devil? That's the fool. Sometimes we play the fool. And what that means is when we decide we have a better way than God does, we've denied God. We've made ourselves God. And that's playing the fool. Here's my prayer today for me, okay? I need to watch my life, I need to watch my mouth, I need to watch my actions. I need to watch my desires. I need to watch everything about me to be sure that it conforms to the image of Jesus, that it looks looks like Jesus. I don't do that good sometimes. I'm the preacher. I don't do that good sometimes. I know y'all got it figured out, so maybe you can help me. The truth is we all mess this up sometimes, and when we do, we deny God in our life. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're here today you've got some form of a religion, some ideas about God. Maybe you have a lot of facts about God and facts about Jesus and facts about, you know, the whole equation of salvation. But you've never been adopted into his family. You've never surrendered yourself to Jesus. That's what gets you in the family. Surrender. Not knowledge. Surrender. Not serving, not deeds. Surrender. It's when we get to a place where we say, like the old song, I surrender all, we just throw our hands up and give up and say, God, I believe right now you love me. I believe you're bigger than I can understand. I believe you did something about my situation. You came to this earth and died on a cross for me. No greater love has any man than one who would give up his life for another. You did that for me if there were no others. So, God, it is on this day I surrender myself to you. I do want you to save me from my sin, but I want there to be a new master in my life, a new sheriff in town. I want you to be the chief. I want you to be the God of my life. I don't want to play the fool anymore, and I don't want to have to worry about my eternal destiny. I give myself fully and freely to you on this day. Thank you for hearing my prayer. I repent of my sin. Thank you for saving somebody like me. And for some of us, we're already in the family. We've been adopted into the kingdom. We've given ourselves to Jesus. We've surrendered. But we've allowed other gods to climb up on the throne of our life who capture our allegiance and our attention. And it's time to lay those lowercase g-gods down and let big God, the true and living God, back on his throne. Father, I thank you for the story that you've given us, this historical narrative that happened where through a couple of old guys you rocked a world moses and aaron god i thank you that you demonstrated your power to give us a message that you are god and there is no other to take your place so god i pray for our i pray for me i pray god that i'll get this sorted out i I pray for our church family god i pray that we'll all just just take a step just launch into the deep end of the pool with you And let you sustain us and carry us and show us and teach us and make us uh, who we're to be. God, I pray that because of it, you would receive all the glory. Because you're the only one that changes things the the way change needs to take place. We give you praise. We give you glory. For that one or those few maybe today who don't know you in a real and personal way. Even if they didn't come here for that today. I pray that your Holy Spirit will just gently convict their heart. Invite them into your family like you did me so many years ago. Remind their hearts, God, how much you love them. Remind their hearts, God, how much you desire to forgive them, to wash them clean, and to call them your very own forever. Help them be willing to receive that and to walk in that with boldness. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.